Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. Now, this will be our last episode for season 1 because chapters 21 to 22 is the are the last chapters for The Lightning Thief. But next week we will start the second book and yeah, so without further ado, let us start the Chapter 21 Chapter 21 I settle my tab It's funny how humans can wrap their mind around things and fit them in their ver- into their version of reality Sharon had told me that long ago as usual I didn't appreciate his wisdom until much later According to the LA News the explosion at the Santa Monica beach had been caused when a crazy kidnapper fired a shotgun at, at a police car He accidentally hit a a gas main that had ruptured during the earthquake. This crazy kidnapper, aka Ares, was the same man who had abducted me and two other adolescents in New York and brought us across country on a 10-day odyssey of terror. Poor little Percy Jackson wasn't an international criminal at all. He'd caused a commotion on on that Greyhound bus in New Jersey, trying to get away from his captor. And afterward, witnesses would even swear they had seen the leather-clad man on the bus. Why didn't I remember him before? The crazy man had caused the explosion in the St. Louis Arch. After all, no kid could have done that. A concerned waitress in Denver had seen the man threatening his abductees outside her diner, gotten a friend to take a photo, and noticed the police. Finally, brave Percy Jackson, I was beginning to like this kid, had stolen a gun from his captor in Los Angeles and battled him shotgun to rifle on the beach. Police had arrived just in time, but in the spectacular explosion, police cars had been destroyed and the captor had fled. No fatalities had occurred. Percy Jackson and his two friends were safely in police custody. The reporters fed us this whole story. We just nodded and acted tearful and exhausted, which wasn't hard, and played victimized kids for the cameras. All I want, I said, choking back my tears, is to see my loving stepfather again. Every time I saw him on TV calling me a delinquent punk, I knew somehow we would be okay. And I know you want to reward each and every person in this beautiful city of Los Angeles with a free major appliance from his store. Here's the phone number. The police and reporters were so moved that they passed around the hat and raised money for three tickets on the next plane to New York. I knew there was no choice but to fly. I hoped Zeus would cut me some slack, considering the circumstances, but it was still hard to force myself on on board the flight. Takeoff was a nightmare. Every spot of turbulence was scarier than a Greek monster. I didn't unclench my hands from the armrest until we touched down safely at LaGuardia. The local press was waiting for us outside security, but we managed to evade them thanks to Annabeth, who lured them away in her invisible Yankees cap, shouting, They're over by the frozen yogurt! Come on! Then rejoined us at baggage claim. We split up the taxi stand. I told Annabeth and Grover to get back to Half-Blood Hill and let Sharon know what, ha- what had happened. They protested and it was hard to let them go after all we'd been through. But I knew I had to do this last part of the quest by myself. If things went wrong, if the gods didn't believe me, I wanted Annabeth and Grover to survive to tell Sharon the truth. I hopped in a taxi and headed into Manhattan. Thirty minutes later, I walked into the lobby of the Empire State Building. 
I must have looked like a homeless kid with my tattered clothes and my scraped up face. I hadn't slept in at least 24 hours. I went up to the guard at the front desk and said, 600th floor. He was reading a huge book with a picture of a wizard on the front. I wasn't much into fantasy, but the book must have been good because the guard took a while to look up. No such floor, kid, kiddo. I need an audience with Zeus. He gave me a vacant smile. Sorry? You heard me. I was about to decide this guy was just a regular mortal, and I'd better run for it before he called a straitjacket patrol. When he said, no appointment, no audience, kiddo. Lord Zeus doesn't see anyone unannounced. Oh, I think he'll make an exception. I slipped off my backpack and unzipped the top. The guard looked inside at the metal cylinder, not getting what it was for seconds. Then his face went pale. That isn't... Yes, it is, I promised. You want me to take it out and... No, no. He scrambled out of his seat, fumbled around his desk for a key card, then handed it to me. Insert this in the, into the security slot. Make sure nobody else is in the elevator with you. I'd, I did as he told me. As soon as the elevator doors closed, I slipped the key into the slot. The card disappeared and a new button appeared on the console. A red one that said 600. I pressed it. I pressed it and waited and waited. Muzak played. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Finally, ding. The door slid open. I stepped out and almost had a heart attack. I was standing on a narrow stone walkway in the middle of the air. Below me was Manhattan. From the height of an airplane, in front of me, white marble steps wound up the spine of a cloud into the sky. My eyes followed the stairway to its end, where my brain just could not accept what I, what I saw. Look again, my brain said. We're looking, my eyes insisted. It's really there. From the top of the clouds rose the decapitated peak of a mountain, its summit covered with snow, clinging to the mountainside were dozens of multi-leveled palaces, a city of mansions, all with white-columned porticos, gilded terraces, and bronze braziers glowing with a thousand fires. Roads wound crazily up to the peak, where the largest palace had gleamed against the snow. Precariously perched gardens bloomed with olive trees and rose bushes. I could make out an open-air market filled with colorful tents, a stone amphitheater built on one side of the mountain, a hippodrome, and a coliseum on the other. It was an ancient Greek city, except it wasn't in ruins. It was new and clean and colorful, the way Athens must have looked 2,500 years ago. This place can't be here, I told myself. The tip of a mountain hanging over New York City like a billion billion ton asteroid? How could something like that be anchored over the Empire State Building in plain sight of millions of people and not get noticed? But here it was, and here I was. My trip through Olympus was a daze. I passed some giggling wood nymphs who threw olives at me from their garden, Hawkers in the market offered to sell me ambrosia on a stick, and a new shield, and a genuine glitter weave replica of the Golden Fleece, as seen on Hephaestus TV. The nine muses were tuning their instruments for a concert in the park while a small crowd gathered. Satires and naiads and a bunch of good-looking teenagers who might have been minor gods and goddesses. Nobody seemed worried about an impending civil war. In fact, everyone seemed in a festive mood. Several of them turned to watch me pass and whispered to themselves. I climbed the main road toward the big palace at the peak. 
It was a reverse copy of the palace in the underworld. There, everything had been black and bronze. Here, everything glittered white and silver. I realized Hades must have built his palace to resemble this one. He wasn't welcomed in Olympus except on the winter solstice, so he built his own Olympus underground. Despite my bad experience with him, I felt a little sorry for the guy. To be banished from this place seemed really unfair. It would make anyone, anybody bitter. Steps led up to a central courtyard, past that the throne room. Room really isn't the right word. The place made the Grand Central Station look like a broom closet. Massive columns rose to a doomed ce- domed ceiling, which was gilded with moving constellations. Twelve thrones, built for beings the, si- beings the size of Hades, were ranged in an inverted U, just like the cabins at H- Camp Half-Blood. An enormous fire crackled in the ch- central hearth pit. The thrones were empty except for two at the end. The head throne on the right and the one to its immediate left. I didn't have to be told who the two gods were that were sitting there waiting for me to approach. I came toward them, my legs trembling. The gods were in giant human form, as Hades had been, but I could barely look at them without feeling a tingle, as if my body were starting to burn. Zeus, the lord of the gods, wore a dark blue pinstripe suit. He sat on a simple throne of solid platinum. He had a well-trimmed beard, marbled gray and black like a storm cloud. His face was proud and handsome and grin, his eyes rainy gray. As I got nearer to him, the air crackled and smelled of ozone. The god sitting next to him was his brother, without a doubt, but he was dressed very differently. He reminded me of a beachcomber from Key West. He wore leather sandals, khaki Bermuda shorts, and a Tommy Bahama shirt with coconuts and parrots all over it. His skin was deeply tanned, his hands scarred like an old-time fisherman's. His hair was black, like mine. His face had that same brooding look that had always gotten me branded a rebel. But his eyes, sea green like mine, were surrounded by sun crinkles that told me he smiled a lot too. His throne was a deep-sea fisherman's chair. It was the simple swiveling kind, with a black leather seat and a built-in holster for a fishing pole. Instead of a pole, the holster held a bronze, bronze trident, flickering with green lights around the tips. The gods weren't moving or speaking, but there was tension in the air, as if they just finished an argument. I approached the fisherman's throne and knelt at his feet. Father, I dared not look up. My heart was racing. I could feel the energy emanating from the two gods. If I said the wrong thing, I had no doubt they could blast me into dust. To my left, Zeus spoke. Should you not address the master of this house first, boy? I kept my head down and waited. Peace, brother, Poseidon finally said. His voice stirred my oldest memories. That warm glow I remembered as a baby... The sensation of this god's hand on my forehead. The boy defers to his father. This is only right. You still claim him then? Zeus asked menacingly. You claim this child who you sired against our sacred oath? I have admitted my wrongdoing, Poseidon said. Now I would hear him speak. Wrongdoing. A lump welled up in my throat. Was that all I was? A wrongdoing? The results of a god mistake? 
I have spared him once already, Zeus grumbled, daring to fly through my domain. Pah! I should have blasted him out of the sky for his impudence. And risked destroying your own master bolt? Poseidon asked calmly. Let us hear him out, brother. Zeus grumbled some more. Oh, I shall listen, he decided. Then I shall make up my mind whether or not to cast this boy down from Olympus. Perseus, Poseidon said, look at me. I did, and I wasn't sure what I saw in his face. There was no clear sign of love or approval, nothing to encourage me. It was like looking at the ocean. Some days you could tell what mood it was in. Most days, though, it was unreadable, mysterious. I got the feeling Poseidon really didn't know what to think of me. He didn't know whether he was happy to have me as a son or not. In a strange way, I was glad that Poseidon was so distant. If he tried to apologize, or told me he loved me, or even smiled, it would have felt fake. Like a human dad making some lame excuse for not being around, I could live with that. After all, I wasn't sure about him either. Address Lord Zeus, boy, Poseidon told me. Tell him your story. So I told Zeus everything, just as it had happened. I took out the metal cylinder, which began sparking in the sky god's presence, and laid it at his feet. There was a long silence, broken only by the crackle of the hearth fire. Zeus opened his palm. The lightning bolt flew into it. As he closed his fist, the metallic points flared with electricity, until he was holding what looked more like the classic thunderbolt a 20-foot javelin of arching, hissing energy that made the hairs on my scalp rise. I sense the boy tells the truth, Zeus muttered, but that Ares would do such a thing. It is most unlike him. He is proud and impulsive, Poseidon said. It runs in the family. Lord, I asked. They both said, yes. Ares didn't act alone. Someone else... Something else came up with the idea. I described my dreams and the feeling I've had on the beach, that momentary breath of evil that had stopped, seemed to seem to stop the world and made Ares back off from killing me. In the dreams, I said, the voice told me to bring the bolt to the underworld. Ares hinted that he'd been having dreams too. I think he was just being used, just as I was, to start a war. You are accusing Hades after all? Zeus asked. No, I said. I mean Lord Zeus. I've been in the presence of Hades. This feeling on the beach was different. It was the same thing I felt when I got close to that pit. That was the entrance to Tartarus, wasn't it? Something powerful and evil is stirring down there. Something even older than the gods. Poseidon and Zeus looked at each other. They had a quick, intense discussion in ancient Greek. I only caught one word, father. Poseidon made some kind of suggestion, but Zeus cut him off. Poseidon tried to argue. Zeus held up his hand angrily. We will speak of this no more, Zeus said. I must personally go to, I must personally, I I must go personally to purify this thunderbolt in the waters of Lemnos to remove the human taint from its metal. He rose and looked at me. His expression softened, softened to just a fraction of a degree. You have done me a service, boy. Few heroes could have ex- accomplished as much. 
I had help, sir, I said. Grover Underwood and Annabeth Chase. To show you my thanks, I shall spare your life. I do not trust you, Perseus Jackson. I do not like what your arrival means for the future of Olympus. But for the sake of peace of the family, I shall let you live. Um, thank you, sir. Do not presume to fly again. Do not let me find you here when I return. Otherwise, you shall taste this boat, and it will be your last sensation. Thunder shook the palace. With a blinding flash of lightning, Zeus was gone. I was alone in the throne room with my father. Your uncle, Poseidon sighed, has always had a flair for dramatic exits. I think he would have done well as the god of theater. An uncomfortable silence. Sir, I said, what was in that pit? Poseidon regarded me. Have you not guessed? Kronos, I said, the king of the titans. Even in the throne room of Olympus, far away from Tartarus, the name Kronos darkened the room, made the heart's fire seem not so, not quite so warm, not quite so warm on my back. Poseidon gripped his trident. In the first war, Percy, Zeus cut our father Kronos into a thousand pieces, just as Kor Kronos had done to his own father, Oranus. Zeus had cast, Zeus cast Kronos's remains into the darkest pit of Tartarus. The Titan army was scattered, their mountain fortress on Etna destroyed, their monstrous alleys driven to the farthest corners of Earth, of the Earth, and yet Titans cannot die, any more than we gods can. What is, whatever is left of Kronos is still alive in some hideous way, still conscious in his internal pain, still hungering for power. He's healing, I said. He's coming back. Poseidon shook his head. From time to time, over the eons, Kronos has stirred. He enters men's nightmares and breathes evil thoughts. He wakens restless monsters from the depths, but to suggest he could rise from the pit is another thing. That's what he intends, father. That's what he said. Poseidon was silent for a long time. Lord Zeus has closed discussion on this matter. He will not allow talk of Kronos. You have completed your quest, child. That is all you need to do. But I stopped myself. Arguing would do no good. It would be very possibly it would very possibly anger the only god I who I had on my side. As as you wish, father. A faint smile played on his lips. Obedience does not come naturally to you, does it? No, sir. I must take some blame for that, I suppose. The sea does not like to be restrained. He rose to his full height and took up his trident. Then he shimmered and became the size of a regular man, standing directly in front of me. You must go, child. But first, know that your mother has returned. I stared at him, completely stunned. My mother? You'll find her at home. Hades sent her when you recovered his helm. Even the Lord of Death paid, pays his debts. My heart was pounding. I couldn't believe it. Do you? Would you? I wanted to ask if Poseidon would come with me to see her, but then I realized that was ridiculous. I imagined loading the god of the sea into a taxi and taking him to the Upper East Side. If he'd wanted to see my mom all these years, he would have. And there was smelly Gabe to think about. Poseidon's eyes took on, took on a little sadness. When you return home, Percy, you must make an important choice. You'll find a package waiting in your room. A package? You'll understand when you see it. No one can choose your path, Percy. 
You must decide. I nodded, though I didn't know what he meant. Your mother is a queen among women, Poseidon said wistfully. I had not met such a mortal woman in in a thousand years. Still, I am sorry you were born, child. I have brought you a hero's fate, and a hero's fate is never happy. It is never anything but tragic. I tried not to feel hurt. Here was my own dad, telling me he was sorry I'd been born. I don't mind, father. Not yet, perhaps, he said. Not yet. But it was an unforgivable unforgivable mistake on my part. I'll leave you then. I bowed awkwardly. I, I won't bother you again. I was five steps away when he called. Perseus. I turned. There was a different light in his eyes. A fiery kind of pride. You did well, Perseus. Do not misunderstand me. Whatever else you do, know that you are mine. You are a true son of the sea god. As I walked back through the city of the gods, conversation stopped. The muses paused their concert. People in satires and naiads all turned toward me. Their faces filled with respect and gratitude. And as I passed, they knelt, as if I were some kind of hero. Fifteen minutes later, still in a trance, I was back on the streets of Manhattan. I caught a taxi to my mom's apartment, rang the doorbell, and there she was, my beautiful mother, smelling of peppermint and licorice, the weariness and worry evaporating from her face as soon as she saw me. Percy! Oh, thank goodness! Oh, my baby! She crushed crushed the air right out of me. We stood in the hallway as she cried and ran her hands through my hair. I'll admit it. My eyes were a little misty, too. I was shaking. I was so relieved to see her. She, had, she told me she'd just appeared at the apartment that morning, scaring Gabe half, of our, half out of his wits. She didn't remember anything since the Minotaur and couldn't believe it when Gabe told her I was a wanted criminal. Traveling across the country, blowing up national monuments, she'd been going out of her mind with worry all day because she hadn't heard the news. Gabe had forced her to go into work, saying that she had a month's salary to make up and she'd better get started. I swallowed back my anger and told her my own story. I tried to make it sound less scary than it had been, but that wasn't easy. I was just getting to the fight with Ares when Gabe's voice interrupted from the living room. Hey Sally, that meatloaf done yet or what? She closed her eyes. He isn't going to be happy to see you, Percy. The store got half a million phone calls today from Los Angeles. Something about free appliances. Oh yeah, about that. She managed a weak smile. Just don't make him angrier, alright? Come on. In the month I'd been gone, the apartment had turned to Gabeland. Garbage was ankle deep on the carpet. The sofa had been reupholstered in beer cans. Dirty socks and underwear hung off the lampshades. Gabe and three of his big goonie friends were playing poker at the table when gabe saw me his cigar dropped out of his mouth his face got redder than lava you got nerve coming here you little punk i thought the police he's not a fugitive after all my mom interjected isn't that wonderful gabe gabe looked back and forth back and forth between us he didn't seem to think my homecoming was so wonderful Bad enough I had to give back your life insurance money, Sally, he growled. Get me the phone. I'll call the cops. Gabe, no! He raised his eyebrows. Did you just say no? 
Do you think I'm going to put up with this punk again? I can still press charges against him for ruining my camera. But he raised his hand and my mother flinched. For the first time, I realized something. Gabe had hit my mother. I didn't know when or how much, but I was sure he'd done it. Maybe it had been going on for years when I wasn't around. A balloon of anger started expanding in my chest. I came toward Gabe, instantly taking my pen out of my pocket. He just laughed. What, punk? You're gonna, you're gonna write on me? You touch me and you're going to jail forever. You understand? Hey, Gabe. His friend Eddie interrupted. He's just a kid. Gabe looked at him resentfully and mimicked him in a falsetto voice. Just a kid. His other friends laughed like idiots. Oh, I'll be nice to you, punk. Gabe showed me his tobacco-stained teeth. I'll give you five minutes to get your stuff and clear out. After all, after that, I call the police. Gabe, my mother pleaded. He ran away, Gabe told her. Let him stay gone. I was itching to uncap Riptide, but even if I did, that the blade wouldn't hurt humans. And Gabe, by the de- loosest definition, was human. My mother took my arm. Please, Percy, come on, we'll go to your room. I let her pull me away, my hands still trembling with rage. My room had been completely filled with Gabe's junk. There were stacks of used car batteries, a rotting bouquet of sympathy flowers with a card from somebody who'd seen his Barbara Walters interview. Gabe is just upset, honey, my mother told me. I'll talk to him later. I'm sure it'll work out. Mom, it will never work out. Not as long as Gabe's here. She wrung her hands nervously. I can, I'll take you to work with me for the rest of the summer. In the fall, maybe there's another boarding school. Mom, she lowered her eyes. I'm trying, Percy. I just, I need some time. A package appeared on my bed. At least, I could have sworn it had been there a moment before. It was a battered cardboard box about the right size to fit a basketball. The address on the mailing slip was in my own handwriting. The gods, Mount Olympus, 600th floor, Empire State Building, New York, and why? With best wishes, Percy Jackson. Over the top and black marker, in a man's clear, bold print, was the address of our apartment, and the words, return to sender. Suddenly, I understood what Poseidon had told me on Olympus. A package, a decision. Whatever else you do, know that you are mine, you are a true son of the sea god. I looked at my mother. Mom, do you want Gabe gone? Percy, it isn't that simple. I, Mom, just tell me. That jerk has been hitting you. Do you want him gone or not? She hesitated, then nodded almost imperceptibly. Yes, Percy, I do. And I'm trying to get my courage to tell him. But you can't do this for me. You can't solve my problems. I looked at the box. I could solve her problem. I wanted to slice that package open, plop it on the poker table, and take out what was inside. I could start my very own statue garden right there in the living room. That's what a Greek hero would do in the stories, I thought. That's what Gabe deserves. But a hero's story always ended in tragedy. Poseidon had told me that. I remembered the underworld. I thought about Gabe's spirit drifting forever in the fields of Asphodel, or condemned to some hideous torture behind the barbed wire of the fields of punishment. An eternal poker game, sitting up to his waist in boiling oil, listening to opera music. 
Did I have the right to send someone there? Even Gabe? A month ago, I wouldn't have hesitated. Now, I can do it. I told my mom, one look inside this box and he'll never bother you again. She glanced at the package and seemed to understand immediately. No, Percy, she said, stepping away. You can't. Poseidon called you a queen, I told her. He said he hadn't met a woman like you in a thousand years. Her cheeks flushed. Percy, you deserve better than this, Mom. You should go to college. Get your degree. You could write your novel. Meet a nice guy, maybe. Live in a nice house. You don't need to protect me anymore by staying with Gabe. Let me get rid of him. She wiped a tear off her cheek. You sound so much like your father, she said. He offered to stop the tide for me once. He offered to build me a palace at the bottom of the sea. He thought he could solve all my problems with a wave of his hand. What's wrong with that? Her, her multicolored eyes seemed to search inside me. I think you know, Percy. I think you're enough like me to understand. If my life is going to mean anything, I have to live it myself. I can't let a god take care of me or my son. I have to find the courage of my own. Your quest has reminded me of that. We listened to the sound of poker chips and swearing. ESPN from the living room television. I'll leave the box, I said. If he threatens you... She looked pale, but she nodded. Where will you go, Percy? Half Bullet Hill. For the summer or forever? I guess that depends. We locked eyes, and I sensed that we had an agreement. We would see how things stood at the end of the summer. She kissed my forehead. You'll be a hero, Percy. You'll be the greatest of all. I took one last look around my bedroom. I had a feeling I'd never see it again. Then I walked with my mother to the front door. Leaving so soon, punk? Gabe called after me. Good riddance. I had one last twinge of doubt. How could I turn down the perfect chance to take revenge on him? I was leaving here without saving my mother. Hey, Sally, he yelled. What about that meatloaf, huh? A steely look of anger flared in my mother's eyes, and I thought just maybe I was leaving her in good hands after all. Her own. The meatloaf's coming up, right, dear? She told Gabe. Meatloaf surprised. She looked at me and winked. The last thing I saw as the door swung closed was my mother staring at Gabe, as if she were com- contemplating how he would look as a garden statue. And that is the end of chapter 21. And that that is a really interesting chapter, especially how Percy gets to meet his dad after such a long time, even though, you know, he's a god, but, you know, it's been like about maybe 11 or 12 years since he saw him. And yeah, I guess it might it kind of made Percy feel weird because seeing someone, you know, after like such a long time, it kind of makes you feel awkward and not knowing what to say like you like percy called his own father sir and then sometimes he called him father so i guess that must have been really awkward for percy and yeah and i'm also glad for percy's mother standing up to gabe because he's really rude and percy's mom doesn't deserve someone like that so yeah and after these ads we will come back to read chapter 22 the prophecy comes true And welcome back from the ads. And now we read chapter 22. The prophecy comes true. 
We were the first heroes to return alive to Half-Blood Hill since Luke, so of course everybody treated us as if we'd won some reality TV contest. According to Cran Camp tradition, we wore laurel wreaths to a big feast prepared in our honor, then led a procession down to the bonfire where we got to b- burn the burial shrouds our cabins had made for us in our absence. Annabeth's shroud was so beautiful, gray silk with embroidered owls, I told her it seemed a shame not to bury her in it. She punched me and told me to shut up. Being the son of Poseidon, I didn't have any cabin mates, so the Ares cabin had volunteered to make my shroud. They'd taken an old bedsheet and painted smiley faces with with X'd out eyes around the border, and the word loser painted really big in the middle. It was fun to burn. As Apollo's cabin led the sing-along and passed out s'mores, I was surrounded by my old Hermes cabin mates, Annabeth's friends from Athena and Grover's satire buddies, who were admiring the brand new searcher's license he received from the Council of Cloven Elders. The council had called Grover's performance on the quest brave to the point of indigestion. Horns and whiskers above anything we have seen in the past. The only ones not in a party mood were Clarice and her cabin mates, whose poisonous looks told me they'd never forgive me for disgracing their dad. That was okay with me. Even Dionysus' welcome home speech wasn't enough to dampen my spirits. Yes, yes, so the little brat didn't get himself killed, and now he'll have an even bigger head. Well, huzzah for that. In other announcements, there will be no canoe races this Saturday. I moved back into cabin three, but I didn't feel so lonely anymore. I had my friends to train with during the day. At night, I'd lay awake and listen to the sea, knowing my father was out there. Maybe he wasn't quite sure about me yet. Maybe he hadn't even wanted me born, but he was watching, and so far, he was proud of what I'd done. As for my mother, she had a chance at a new life. Her letter arrived a week after I got back to camp. She told me Gabe had left mysteriously, disappeared off the face of the planet. In fact, she'd reported him missing to the police, but she had a funny feeling they would never find him. On a completely unrelated subject, she sold, she'd sold her her first life concrete sculpture entitled The Poker Player to a collector through an art gallery in Soho. She'd gotten so much money for it, she put a deposit down on a new apartment and made a payment on her first semester, semester's tuition at NYU. The Soho gallery was clamoring for more, her, more of her work, which they called a huge step forward in super ugly neorealism. But don't worry, my mom wrote. I'm done with sculpture. I've disposed of that box of tools you left me. It's time for me to turn to writing. At the bottom, she wrote, P.S. Percy, I found a good private school here in the city. I've put a deposit down to hold you a spot in case you want to enroll for seventh grade. You could live at home, but if you want to go year round at Half Blood Hill, I'll understand. I folded the note carefully and set it on my bedside table. Every night before I went to sleep, I read it again, and I tried to decide how to answer her. On the 4th of July, the whole camp gathered at the beach for a fireworks display by Cabin 9. Being Hephaestus' kids, they weren't going to settle for a few lame red, white, and blue explosions. They'd anchored a barge offshore and loaded it with rockets the size of Patriot missiles. According to Annabeth, who'd seen the show before, the blasts would be sequenced so tightly they'd look like frames of animation across the sky. 
The finale was supposed to be a couple of hundred foot tall Spartan warriors who would crackle to life above the ocean, fight a battle, then explode into a million colors. As Annabeth and I were spreading a picnic blanket, Grover showed up to tell us goodbye. He was dressed in his usual jeans and t-shirt and sneakers, but in the last few weeks he started to look older, almost high school age. His goatee had gotten thicker, he'd put on weight, his horns had grown at least an inch, so now he had so now he had he had he now had to wear his rasta cap all the time to pass as human. I'm off, he said. I just came to say well, you know. I tried to feel happy for him. After all, it wasn't every day a satire got permission to go look for the great god Pan. But it was hard saying goodbye. I'd only known Grover for a year, yet he was my oldest friend. Annabeth gave him a hug. She told him to keep his, keep his fake feet on. I asked him where he was going to search first. Kind of a secret, he said, looking embarrassed. I wish you could, you, could, you could come with me, guys, but humans and Pan... We understand, Annabeth said. You got enough tin cans for the trip? Yeah. And you remembered your reed pipes? Jeez, Annabeth, he grumbled. You're like an old mama goat. But he didn't really sound annoyed. He gripped his walking stick and slung a backpack over his shoulder. He looked like any hitchhiker you might see on an American highway. Nothing like the little runty boy I used to defend from bullies at Yancey Academy. Well, he said, wish me luck. He gave Annabeth another hug. He clapped me on the shoulder, then headed back through the dunes. Fireworks exploded to life overhead. Hercules killing the Nemean lion, Artemis chasing the boar, George Washington, who by the way was a son of Athena, crossing the Delaware. Hey Grover, I called. He turned at the edge of the woods. Wherever you're going, I hope they make good enchiladas. Grover grinned, and then he was gone, the trees closing around him. We'll see him again, Abbott said. I tried to believe it. The fact that no searcher had ever come back in 2,000 years? Well, I decided not to think about that. Grover would be the first. He had to be. July passed. I spent my days devising new strategies for capture the flag and making alliances with the other cabins to keep the banner out of Ares's hands. I got to the type, top of a climbing of the climbing wall for the first time without getting scorched by lava. From time to time, I'd walk past the big house, glance up at the attic windows, and think about the oracle. I tried to convince myself that its prophecy had come to completion. You shall go west and face the god that, who has turned. Been there, done that, even though the traitor god had turned out to be Ares rather than Hades. You shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned. Check. One master bolt delivered, one helm of darkness back on Hades' oily head. You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. This line still bothered me. Ares had pretended to be my friend, then betrayed me. That must be what the oracle meant. And you shall save, fail to save what matters most in the end. I had failed to save my mom but only because I'd let her save herself. And I knew that was the right thing. So why was I still uneasy? The last night of the summer session came all too quickly. The campers had one last meal together. We burned part of our dinner for the gods. At the bonfire, the senior counselors awarded the end of summer beads. 
I got my own leather necklace. And when I saw the bead for my first summer, I was glad the firelight covered, covered my blushing. The design was pitch black with a green, sea green trident shimmering in the center. The choice was unanimous, Luke announced. This bead commemorates the first son of the sea god at this camp and the quest he undertook into the darkest part of the underworld to stop a war. The entire camp got to their feet and cheered. Even Ares' camp felt obliged to stand. Athena's camp steered Annabeth to the front so she could share the, in the applause. I'm not sure I'd ever felt as happy or sad as I did at that moment. I finally found a family, people who'd cared about me, and thought I'd done something right. And in the morning, most of them would be leaving for the year. The next morning, I found a form letter on my bedside table. I know Dionysus must have filled it out because he, was, he stubbornly insisted on getting my name wrong. Dear Peter Johnson, if you intend to stay at Camp Half-Blood year-round, you must inform the big house by noon today. If you do not announce your intentions, we will assume you have vacated your di- cabin or died a horrible death. Cleaning harpies will begin work at sundown. They will be authorized to eat any unregistered campers. All personal articles left behind will be incinerated in the lava pit. Have a nice day, Mr. D. Dionysus, Camp Director, Olympian Council Number Twelve. That's another thing about ADHD. Deadlines aren't real to me unless until I'm staring one in the face. Summer was over, and I still hadn't answered my mother or the camp about whether I'd be staying. Now I had I had only a few hours to decide. The decision should have been easy. I mean, nine months of hero training or nine months of sitting in a classroom? Duh. But there was my mom to consider. For the first time, I had the chance to live with her for a whole year without Gabe. I had a chance to be at home and knock around the city in my free time. I remember what Annabeth had said so long ago on our quest. The real world world is where the monsters are. That's where you learn whether you're any good or not. I thought about the fate of Thalia, daughter of Zeus. I wonder how many monsters would attack me if I left Half-Blood Hill. If I stayed in one place for a whole school year, without Sharon or my friends around to help me, would my mother and I even survive until the next summer? That was assuming the spelling test and five paragraph essays didn't kill me. I decided I'd go down to the arena and do some sword practice. Maybe that'll clear my head. The campgrounds were mostly deserted shimmering in the august heat all the campers in their cabins packing up or running around with brooms and mops getting ready for final inspection argus was helping some of the aphrodite kids haul their gucci suitcases and makeup kits over the hill where the camp show bus will be waiting to take them to the airport don't think about leaving it i told myself just train i got to the sword fighters arena and found that luke had had the same idea his gym bag was plopped at the edge of the stage. He was working solo, wailing on battle dummies with a sword I'd never seen before. It must have been a regular steel blade, because he was slashing the dummies' heads right off, stabbing through their guts, stabbing through their straw-stuffed guts. His orange counselor shirt was dripping with sweat. His expression was so intense, his life might have really been in danger. I watched, fascinated, as he disemboweled the whole row of dummies, hacking off limbs and basically reducing them to a pile of straw and armor. They were only dummies, but I still couldn't help being awed by Luke's skill. The guy was an incredible fighter. It made me wonder again how he possibly could have failed at his quest. 
Finally, he saw me and stopped mid-swing. Percy. Um, sorry, I said, embarrassed. I just, it's okay, he said, lowering his sword. Just doing some last-minute practice. Those dummies, dummies won't be bothering anyone, anyone, anybody anymore. Luke shrugged. We build new ones every summer. Now that his sword wasn't swirling around, I could see something odd about it. The blade was two different types of metal, one edge bronze and the other, the other steel. Luke noticed me looking at it. Oh, this new toy. This is backbiter. Backbiter. Luke turned the blade in the light so it glinted wickedly. One side is celestial bronze, the other is tempered steel. Works on mortals and immortals both. I thought about what Sharon had told me when I started my quest. That a hero should never harm mortals until, unless absolutely unnecessary. I didn't know they could make weapons like that. They probably can't, Luke agreed. It's one of a kind. He gave me a tiny smile, then slid the sword into its scabbard. Listen. I was going to come looking for you. What do you say we go down to the woods one last time? Looking for something, look for something to fight? I don't know why I hesitated. I should have felt relieved that Luke was being so friendly. Ever since I'd gotten back from the quest, he'd been acting a little distant. I was afraid he might resent me for all the attention I'd gotten. You think it's a good idea? I mean... I asked. I mean... Oh, oh come on. He rummaged in his gym bag and pulled out a uh, pulled out a six pack of cokes. Drinks are on me. I stared at the cokes, wondering where the heck he had gotten them. There were no regular mortal mortal sodas at at the camp store. No way to smuggle them in unless you talk to a satire, maybe. Of course, the magic dinner goblets would fill with anything you want, but it it just didn't taste the same as a real coke, straight out of a uh, straight out of the can. Sugar and caffeine. My willpower crumbled. Sure, I decided. Why not? We walked down to the woods and kicked around for some some of the, some kind of monster to fight, but it was too hot. All the monsters with any sense must have been taking siestas in their nice, cool caves. We found a shady spot by the creek where I'd broken Clarissa's spear during my first capture the flag game. We sat on a big rock, drank our cokes, and watched the sunlight in the woods. After a while, Luke said, You miss being on a quest? With monsters attacking me for every three feet? Are you kidding? Luke raised an eyebrow. Yeah, I miss it, I admitted. You? A shadow passed over his face. I was used to hearing from the girls how good-looking Luke was. But at the moment, he looked weary and angry and not at all handsome. His blonde hair was gray in the sunlight. The scar on his face looked deeper than usual. I could imagine him as an old man. I've lived at Half-Blood Hill year-round since I was 14, he told me. Ever since Thalia, well, you know, I trained and trained and trained. I never got to be a normal teenager out there in the real world. Then they threw me one quest. When I came back, it was like, okay, ride's over, have a nice life. He crumpled his Coke can and threw it into the creek, which really shocked me. One of the first things you learn at Camp Half-Blood is, don't litter. You'll hear from the nymphs and the naiads. They'll get even. You'll crawl into bed one night and find your sheets filled with centipedes and mud. The heck with Laurel Reeds, Luke said. I'm not going to end up like those dusty trophies in the big house attic. You make it sound like you're leaving. Luke gave me a twisted smile. Oh, I'm leaving all right, Percy. I brought you down here to say goodbye.
He snapped his fingers. A small fire burned a hole in the ground at my feet. Out crawled some things glistening back, about the size of my hand. A scorpion. I started to go for my pen. I wouldn't, Luke cautioned. Pit scorpions can jump up to 15 feet. Its stinger can pierce right through your clothes. You'll be dead in 60 seconds. Luke, what? Then then it hit me. You'll be betrayed by one who calls you a friend. You, I said. He stood calmly and brushed off his jeans. The scorpion paid him no attention. It kept its beady black eyes on me, clamping its pincers as it crawled onto my shoe. I saw a lot out there in the world, Percy, Luke said. Didn't you feel it? The darkness gathering? The monsters growing stronger? Didn't you realize how useless it all is? All the heroics being pawns of the gods? They should have been overthrown thousands of years ago, but they've hung on, thanks to us half-bloods. I couldn't believe this was happening. Luke, you're, you're talking about our parents, I said. He laughed. That's supposed to make me love them? Their precious Western civilization is a disease, Percy. It's killing the world. The only way to stop it is to burn it to the ground. Start over with something more honest. You're as crazy as Ares. His airs flared. His eyes flared. Ares is a fool. He never realized the true master he was serving. If I had time, Percy, I could explain. But I'm afraid you won't live that long. The scorpion crawled onto my pants leg. There had to be a way out of this. I needed time to think. Kronos, I said. That's who you serve. The air got colder. You should be careful with names, Luke warned. Kronos got you to steal the Master Bowl and the helm. He spoke to you in your dreams. Luke's eye twitched. He spoke to you too, Percy. You should have listened. He's brainwashing you, Luke. You're wrong. He showed me that my talents are being wasted. Do you know what my quest was two years ago, Percy? My father Hermes wanted me to steal a golden apple from the Garden of Hesperides and return it to Olympus. After all the training I'd done, that was the best he could think of. Think up. That's not an easy quest, I said. Hercules did it. Exactly, Luke said. Where's the glory in repeating what others have done? All the gods know how how to do is replay their past. My heart wasn't in it. The dragon in the garden gave me this. He pointed angrily at his scar. And when I came back, all I got was pity. I wanted to pull Olympus down stone by stone right then. But I bided by my time. By time, I began to dream of Kronos. He convinced me to steal something worthwhile, something no hero had ever d- had the courage to take. When we went on that winter solstice field trip, while the other campers were were asleep, I took I snuck into the throne room and took Zeus's master bowl right from his chair. Hades's helm of darkness too. You wouldn't believe how easy it was. The Olympians are so arrogant, they never dreamed someone would dare steal from them. Their security is horrible. I was halfway across New Jersey before I heard the storms rumbling, and I knew they discovered my theft. The scorpion was sitting on my knee now, staring at me with its glittering eyes. I tried to keep my voice level. So why didn't you bring the items to Kronos? Luke smiled, wavered. I... I got overconfident. 
Zeus sent out his sons and daughters to find the stolen boat. Artemis, Apollo, my father, Hermes. But it was Ares who caught me. I could have been, I could have beaten him, but I wasn't careful enough. He disarmed me, took the items of power, threatened to return them to Olympus and burn me alive. Then Kronos' voice came to me and told me what to say. I put the idea in Ares' head about a great war between the gods. I said all he had to do was hide the items away for a while and watch the others fight. Ares got a wicked gleam in his eyes. I knew he was hooked. He let me go, and I returned to Olympus before anyone noticed my absence. Luke drew his new sword. He ran his thumb down the flat of the blade, as if he were hypnotized by its beauty. Afterward, the Lord of the Titans, he, he punished me with nightmares. I swore not to fail again. Back at Camp Half-Blood in my dreams, I was told that a second hero would arrive, one who could be tricked into taking the bolt and the helm the rest of the way, from Ares down to Tartarus. You summoned that hell, the hellhound that night in the forest. We had to make sure on think the camp wasn't safe for you, so he would start you on your quest. We had to confirm his fears that Hades was after you, and it worked. The flying shoes were cursed, I said. They were supposed to drag me and the backpack into Tartarus. And they would've, if you'd been wearing them. But you gave them to the satire, which wasn't part of the plan. Grover messes up everything he touches. He even confuses, confused the curse. Luke looked down at the scorpion, which was now sitting on my thigh. You should have died in Tartarus, Percy. But don't worry. I'll leave you with my little friend to set things right. Dahlia gave her life to save you, I said, gritting my teeth. And this is how you repay her? Don't speak of Thalia, he shouted. The gods let her die. That's one of the many things they will pay for. You're being used, Luke. You and Ares both. Don't listen to Kronos. I've been used? Luke's voice turned shrill. Look at yourself. What has your dad ever done for you? Kronos will rise. You've only delayed his plans. You cast Olympians into Tartarus and drive humanity back to their caves. All except the strongest, the ones who serve him. Call off the bug, I said. If you're so strong, fight me yourself. Luke smiled. Nice try, Percy, but I'm not Ares. You can't bait me. My lord is waiting, and he's got plenty of quests for me to undertake. Luke, goodbye, Percy. There's a new golden age coming. You won't be a part of it. He slashed his sword in an arc and disappeared in a ripple of darkness. The scorpion lunged. I swatted it away with my hand and uncapped my sword. The thing jumped at me and I cut it in half in midair. I was about to congratulate myself until I looked down at my hand. My palm had a huge red welt oozing and smoking with yellow guck. The thing had gone me after all. My ears pounded. My vision went foggy. The water, the water I thought, it healed me before. I stumbled to the creek and submerged my hand, but nothing seemed to happen. The poison was too strong. My vision, my vision was getting dark. I could barely stand up. Sixty seconds, Luke had told me. I had to get back to camp. If I collapsed out here, my body would be dinner for a monster. Nobody would even know what had happened. My legs felt like lead. My forehead was burning. I stumbled toward the camp, and the nymphs stirred from their trees. Help, I croaked. Please. 
Two of them took my arms, pulling me along. I remember making it to the clearing, a counselor shouting for help, a centaur blowing a conch horn. Then everything went black. I woke with a drinking straw in my mouth. I was sipping something that tasted like liquid chocolate chip cookies. Nectar. I opened my eyes. I was propped up in the bed of the, in the sick room of the big house, my right hand bandaged like a club. Argus stood guard in the corner. Annabeth sat next to me, holding my nectar glass and dabbing a washcloth on my forehead. Here we are again, I said. You idiot, Annabeth said, which is how I knew she was overjoyed to see me conscious. You were green and turning gray when we found you. If it weren't for Sharon's healing... Now, now, Sharon said. Percy's constitution deserves some of the credit. He was sitting near the foot of my bed in human form, which is why I hadn't noticed him yet. His lower half was magically compacted into the wheelchair, his upper half dressed into in a coat and, and tie. He smiled, but his face looked weary and pale, the way it did when he'd been all night grading Latin papers. How are you feeling? he asked. Like my insides have been frozen, then microwaved. Apt. Considering that was pit scorpion venom, now you must tell me if you can, exactly what happened. Between sips of nectar, I told him the story. The room was quiet for a long time. I can't believe that Luke... Annabeth's voice faltered. Her expression turned angry and sad. Yes, yes, I can believe it. May the gods curse him. He was never the same after his quest. This must be reported to Olympus, Shron murmured. I will go at once. Luke is out there right now, I said. I have to go after him. Shran shook his head. No, Percy, the gods won't even talk about Kronos, I snapped. Zeus declared the matter closed. Percy, I know this is hard, but you must not rush out for vengeance. You aren't ready. I didn't like it, but part of me suspected Shran was right. One look at my hand and I knew I wasn't going to be sword fighting anytime soon. Sharon, your prophecy from the Oracle, it was about Kronos, wasn't it? Was I in it? An Annabeth? Sharon glanced nervously at the ceiling. Percy, it isn't my place. You've been ordered not to talk to me about it, haven't you? His eyes were sympathetic, but sad. You'll be a great hero, child. I'll do my best to prepare you. But if I'm right about the path of, ahead of you... Thunder boomed overhead, rattling the windows. All right, Sean shouted. Fine. He sighed in frustration. The gods have their reasons, Percy. Knowing too much of your future is never a good thing. We can't just sit back and do nothing, I said. We will not sit back, Sharon promised. But you must be careful. Kronos wants you to come unra unraveled. He wants your life disrupted, your thoughts clouded with fear and anger. Do not give him what he wants. Train patiently. Your time will come. Assuming I live that long. Sharon put his hand on my ankle. You'll have to trust me, Percy. You will live. But first, you must decide your path for the coming year. I cannot tell you the right choice. I got the feeling that he had a very definite opinion. And it was taking all his willpower not to advise me. But you must decide whether to stay at Camp Half-Blood year-round or return to the mortal world for 7th grade and be a summer camper. Think on that. When I get back from Olympus, you must tell me your decision. I wanted to protest. I wanted to ask him more questions. But his expression told me there could be no more discussion. 
He had said as much as he could. I'll be back as soon as I can, Sharon promised. Argus will watch over you. He glanced at Annabeth. Oh, and my dear, whenever you're ready, they're here. Who's here? I asked. Nobody answered. Sharon rolled himself out of the room. I heard the wheels of his chair clunk carefully down the front steps, two at a time. Annabeth studied the ice in my drink. What's wrong? I asked her. Nothing, she set the glass on the table. I I just took your advice about something. You um need anything? Yeah, help me up. I want to go outside. Percy, that isn't a good idea. I slid my legs out of bed. Annabeth caught me before I could crumple to the floor. A wave of nausea rolled over me. Annabeth said, I told you. I'm fine, I insisted. I didn't want to lie in bed like an invalid while Luke was out there planning to destroy the Western world. I managed to step forward, then another, still leaning heavily on Annabeth. Argus followed us outside, but he kept his distance. By the time we reached the porch, my face was beaded with sweat. My stomach had twisted into knots, but I had managed to make it all the way to the railing. It was dusk. The camp looked completely deserted. The campers, the cabins were dark, and the volley pit, volleyball pit was silent. No canoes cut the surface of the lake. Beyond the woods and the strawberry fields, the Long Island Sound glittered in the last light of the sun. What are you going to do? Annabeth asked me. I don't know. I told her I got the feeling Sharon wanted me to stay year-round, to put in more individual training time, but I wasn't sure that's what I wanted. I admitted I'd feel bad about leaving her alone, though, with only Clarice for company. Annabeth pursed her lips, then said quietly, I'm going home for the year, Percy. I stared at her. You mean to your dad's? She pointed toward the crest of Half-Blood Hill, next to Thalia's pine tree. At the very edge of the camp's magical boundaries, a family stood silhouetted. Two little children, a woman, and a tall man with blonde hair, They seemed to be waiting. The man was holding a backpack that looked like the one Annabeth had gotten from Waterland in Denver. I wrote him a letter just when we got back, Annabeth said, just like you suggested. I told him. I was sorry. I'd come back for the school year if he wanted me. He wrote back immediately. We decided we'd give it another try. That took guts. She pursed her lips. You won't try anything stupid during the school year, will you? At least, not without sending me an iris message. I managed to smile. I won't go looking for trouble. I usually don't have to. When I get back next summer, she said, we'll hunt down Luke. We'll ask for a quest, but if we don't get approval, we'll sneak off and do it anyway. Agreed? Sounds like a plan worthy of Athena. She held out her hand and I shook it. Take care, seaweed brain, Annabeth told me. Keep your eyes open. You too, wise girl. I watched her walk up the hill and join her family. She gave her father an awkward hug and looked back at the valley one last time. She touched Thalia's pine tree, then allowed herself to be led over the crust into the, mo- the crest in- and into the mortal world. For the first time at camp, I felt truly alone. I looked out at Long Island Sound, and I remembered my father saying, The sea does not like to be restrained. I made my decision. I wondered, if Poseidon were watching... Would he approve my choice? I'll be back next summer. I promised then. I'll survive until then. After all, I am your son. 
I asked Argus to take me down to cabin three so I could pack my bags for home. And that is the end of The Lightning Thief. That was an incredible book because of all the battles and of all the challenges that Percy, Annabeth, and Grover had gone through during that entire book. That was amazing. Like, just looking at their journey and how they were able to, like, finish a quest and actually return, like, surviving. That was amazing. And I hope you guys come back next week where we start ch- uh, the second book and season two, The Sea of Monsters. And yeah, stay safe and stay out of boredom.